Thank you again for having me. Um, yes, most of you wouldn't know me. My name is Melinda Cousins. See, um, I am a member at Richmond Baptist Church, so not too far down the road normally. And uh, during the week, I served with the ministry team at Baptist Churches of South Australia. So uh, I've seen our training and a development of pastors. And I also teach biblical studies at Tabor. Um, and over the last few years, I've had the privilege of spending time studying the Psalms. I did my PhD in the Psalms, and uh, it's great to have the opportunity to, to talk about them because they're um, something that God has used in my own life um, to grow my faith and to help me understand how to express it and how to uh, encourage others in it. Um, and it's a privilege to, to teach on them as well. John Calvin, the great reformer of the church in the 16th century, famously said, that every emotion any human being has ever felt can be found in the Psalms. That you go to the pages of this book in the scriptures and there you find the full gamut of human emotion. Now, I know a lot of you said um, earlier that you hadn't seen that movie, Inside Out. I don't usually do movie recommendations in church, but it's not a bad movie uh, to watch. It talks about these five sort of basic emotions. Um, there's a lot more emotions than that, but they're kind of the, the core emotions that we all have and really explores this idea of, of the fact that we all have these different emotions that we all experience and are wrestling with. And what do we do with them? And there's this great scene in the movie where Joy, who is kind of the main character, and Joy is always trying to make life joyful for uh, the little girl that they um, are inside these emotions. Uh, and she takes sadness and she draws a circle on the ground and she says, sadness, you just stand there and just be sad right there. And then all the rest of us will do everything else that needs to be done everywhere else. And she tries to contain sadness in this very small circle because she doesn't want sadness sort of infecting or touching any other part of life. It doesn't work. And things fall apart. Bit of a spoiler for the movie. But that's sometimes what we try to do with our emotions. We take an emotion like sadness and we just sort of put it over there. And we, we try to put on a happy face, particularly when it comes to the church, unfortunately, and say, oh, we just won't let anyone see that that's a part of our experience because we think that they, we should be joyful and happy. I believe the Psalms give us permission to full, feel the full experience of all the emotions that God has gifted us with. They all have their place. All of our emotions are in some way an appropriate response at certain times. God feels the full range of emotions in the scriptures. God feels sad. God grieves when he sees people walking away from him, we read. God also feels anger, as I said to the kids, when God sees injustice. He gets angry and wants to set things right. And God, of course, feels great joy and delight. And we have been created in God's image and given these emotions to express and to experience. So how do we pray all of these different emotions? Well, we want to focus today on this idea of how do we pray our sadness? How does sadness pray? And actually, the most common type of psalm in the book of Psalms is what we call the lament. There are more laments in the book of Psalms than there are songs of praise. There are more sad psalms, if you like, than there are joyful psalms. Now, interestingly, the book as a whole, the word psalms means praises. The name of the book in Hebrew is praises. So it is a book of joy and praise in the end. But it's a book that's honest. 
that actually much of the time in this world we experience sadness and we need to know how to pray that sadness, to find the joy that God has for us in the midst of it. I believe that the Lament Psalms teach us something profound about our God and about our experience of knowing him and worshipping him. They teach us that God wants us to be honest and not pretend that our sadness just lives in this little contained box that nobody else can see. God wants us to come to him with what we're feeling, with our questions, our doubt, our despair, our anger, our sadness, our frustration, and worship him even in the midst of all of those. We don't worship God because life is easy and smooth. We worship God because he is God, even when life is not easy and smooth. The laments give us permission to worship God, not just in spite of our circumstances, but even because of them. Because they teach us that part of our worship is recognising the pain and the brokenness of this world. And I would suggest that is learning how to lament. You don't have to look around very far in our world and probably not in your own lives to know that we need to learn how to lament. When we see things happening like Christchurch in Sri Lanka just in the last few weeks, when we see war and conflict and human trafficking, exploitation of children all around our world, when we look at our own communities and we see homelessness and loneliness and people who are experiencing anxiety and despair, when we experience grief in our own lives, we need to learn how to lament. I've been preparing uh, for this message this week and just this week, you know, one of my friends um, had to hold a memorial service on Friday for their 10-year-old daughter who passed away during the week. And then I woke up this morning to the news that uh, one of the Christian authors that um, has been influential in my life passed away yesterday and she leaves behind a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And you think, I need to know how to lament. How do I respond to the reality of grief and loss and pain and brokenness in this world? I need to learn how to lament. We live in a world that is broken and in deep pain and in need and we often experience that ourselves. And it seems to me that perhaps... We have forgotten how to lament. Certainly in my experience of being in the church, we are very good at singing the songs of great joy. Every week we come together and sing God's praises and express our joy in what he has done for us. And that's a wonderful thing and a gift and I want us to keep doing that. But my experience of church has been there hasn't been much space for us to express our lament. There are not too many songs that we sing. There's a couple that I can think of that are honest about the sadness that we feel and the brokenness and the pain. And so I think these psalms want to teach us how to lament. Some of you, I'm sure, are in a place today where lament comes really easy and you don't need to hear me say this because you are in pain and brokenness and the words just pour out from where you find yourself. Others of you might not be in those places right now, but I encourage you to stand with those who are, to weep with those who are weeping. And the reality is that we will all face times in our lives when we'll experience deep pain and loss and we need to know how to lament. So there's so many psalms. I said more than any other type of psalm in the book of Psalms that are psalms of lament. And so I could have chosen many, many ones of them this morning. But we're going to have a look at Psalm 7 and you'll have to forgive the teacher in me coming out this morning. But the thing about the lament psalms is although they are the psalms of sadness and despair and disorientation and questioning and doubt, they are actually the most highly structured form of poem 
in the whole book of Psalms. It's almost as if God knows that we need some kind of structure and pattern and teaching to know what to do with this mess of emotions we feel when we find ourselves in a place of sadness. They take a number of different elements or a number of different steps and kind of work through them in a way that helps us know how to respond when we find ourselves in a place of disorientation and sadness. So I'd like us to use Psalm 7 this morning to to look at each of these elements, to kind of work our way through what makes up a psalm of lament, um, to see if we can learn a little bit more about how to be a people who can lament, who can pray our sadness, and then finish by uh, asking how we might do that both for ourselves and for one another. So all good lament psalms include these different elements, not always in the same order, although in Psalm 7 it works pretty straightforwardly, which is one of the reasons why I chose it. But the first element of a lament is what theologians call an invocation. They use these big fancy words, which really just means calling on the name of the Lord. The first thing that the laments teach us is that we cry out to our God with our sadness. Now that might seem really obvious, the psalms are prayers. The Psalms are, of course, they're addressed to God. But there is something that happens when we name the reality that we are bringing to God what it is that we are feeling right now. And so Psalm 7 starts, So Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Now these Psalms were written back in ancient Israel three, 4,000 years ago. And the people of that day actually had before them a range of options of gods to whom they could take their problems, their questions, their emotions. There were many times in Israel's history when there would be people who were worshipping the god of the storm or the god of the fire or the god of the wind or the gods of the other nations or in fact the gods who were particularly associated with weeping and mourning. But the psalmist in invoking the name of the Lord their God, Yahweh, says, I am choosing to bring my my sadness to you, God, and you alone. I imagine for most of us today when we come to experiencing sadness and loss, we, we don't have a range of gods that we think, which one shall I pray to? Although that may be the case. But we have options. Do I take my sadness to my friends? Do I take it out in anger on the people that are on the roads that I'm driving alongside? Do I bottle it up inside? What do I do with my, my sadness? Who do I take it to? The Psalms encourage us to take it to God in prayer even when the cause of the sadness and despair seems to be God himself. This is one of the things I think is amazing about the lament psalm. Sometimes the psalmist laments because things are going wrong in their life. Sometimes they lament because their enemies are attacking them and things are going wrong in the world. Sometimes they lament because they do not feel the presence of God and they wonder where God is and what he is doing. And you know what they do with those questions and those doubts and those fears and that sadness and concern about God? They take it to God. The Psalms give us permission to express even doubt, even question, because they take those doubts and questions to God, and that is an act of faith. God doesn't want us to pretend that we don't have questions, we don't have sadness, we don't have doubts, but he wants us to act in faith by bringing them to him. And so the laments encourage us to cry out to God, to make him the one that we take all our emotions, and in this case, our sadness too. The next element of lament is what is called a plea, basically a request for help. The Psalms of lament actually ask for help. Now, I don't know about you, 
But certainly in Australian culture, and often, dare I say it, for Australian men, asking for help is something we're not particularly good at. No, 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 I'll be fine. I'll figure it out myself. We don't ask for directions. We just follow the map or follow our phone until we get lost. It's hard sometimes to ask for help because we have to admit that we can't do it ourselves, that we need someone else. In Psalm 7, the psalmist cries out to God, save me, deliver me from all who pursue me. There is a request, there is an acknowledgement, there is an I need help. It can be so hard to say and yet it is what puts us in the position to receive the assistance that is offered with one another and here particularly with God. Do we come to God and name before him our need, our request, our question, honestly and openly? So they call on the name of the Lord. They ask him for help. And then really the main part of the Psalms of Lament is what you might call the complaint or the lament proper. This is where the psalmist tells God all the things that they're feeling, all the problems that they're experiencing, just kind of gets it all out there and names it. Now, when we hear the word complaint, you might be tempted to think of a complaints department, you know, you know <laughs> going to the shops or on the phone. It's not quite that kind of complaint, but it is this honest naming of the problem and how it makes us feel and what is happening in our lives. It's a naming of the realities of the experience of brokenness. So in Psalm 7, the psalmist goes into some details here, quite graphic imagery. They're going to tear me apart like lions, rip me to pieces. There is no one to rescue me, God. He names before God all the things that he is feeling and experiencing. So many of the lament psalms have so many details about the feelings and experiences of sitting in the sadness. They don't pretend at all. They don't try and hide it away. They actually get it all out. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but people who are tell me that in modern psychology, that's actually a really important step when you're trying to deal with your own uh, trauma or your own experiences of life, to name it, to actually get it out and to verbalise it, to not hide and lock it away. I'm like, oh, well, the psalmist knew that three and a half thousand years ago. <laughs> they didn't need modern psychology to tell them that. We know that there is something that happens when we name the reality of our situation, our fears and our doubts, our questions, our sadness, even our anger and frustration that helps us in, in the situation. But the Psalms are not just psychological tools because they're not just naming it to anyone. They are naming this all to God, recognising that he is the one who can hear it and hold it. There is something powerful about being honest with God. I know when I first became a Christian as a teenager, the way that I was taught to pray was often to praise God and then to ask God for things. And the idea that God might be interested in just me sitting down and telling him how I'm feeling, what's going on, wasn't really a part of the picture. And yet I go to the Lament Psalms and I see this, this permission and in fact this invitation to do just that to spend time just letting God know. It's not that he doesn't know already, but that he wants to share it with me and hold it with me as I acknowledge it before him. So the psalmist moves through this cry, this uh, calling on the name of the Lord, cry for help, complaint. And then often where we find ourselves in the lament psalm is coming to a place of confession. It seems that by naming the realities of what is going on, what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, the psalmists are often brought to their knees because they realise that in the midst of this situation, some of the brokenness is not just out there. 
but in here. I have not been blameless in this, the psalmist will say. Psalm 7, he says, If I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, O God. The act of lament invites us to examine ourselves and to recognise our own place within this. And so often in the lament psalms we find these confessions, these outpouring of our own responsibility, of our own sinfulness, of our own grief. Again, naming it and bringing it to God so that we can ask for his forgiveness and receive from him. Now I have to tell you that not all the psalms of lament lead to confession. There are actually some lament psalms where instead of a confession you get an assertion of innocence where the psalmist can say, I have done nothing wrong. Psalm 26 is probably the most stark example of this. It actually starts with the psalmist saying, I am blameless before you, O God. And we think, really? Are you claiming to be perfect? Because I don't know too many perfect people. But what they're saying is, in my honest examination of the situation, of the thing that is causing my grief and my pain, I have honestly examined what is happening and I am innocent in this situation and I am suffering unjustly. I like to think of Psalm 26 as the kind of psalm that Job would have prayed when he can honestly examine his heart and say, there is nothing that I have done to contribute to this situation. That may be the case. Sometimes we suffer for no reason, unjustly. I think of my brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted for their faith and I imagine these prayers on their lips as they say, God, all we have done is follow you, follow Jesus, and we are suffering. So sometimes it's actually coming to that place of acknowledging the the innocence that we experience and bringing that to God too. Then we get to probably the most difficult part of the Lament Psalms, the one that you might like to try and skip over. Again, what theologians call the imprecation, which is just a nice fancy word to hide the fact that we're talking about cursing. This is those parts of the Psalms that sometimes people are a bit uncomfortable about and we think, why is that in the Bible? How is that okay to be there? When the psalmist says, away from me, you evildoers, I wish that you would be smitten from the earth. I wish that God would destroy you and remove the wicked. Or in Psalm 7, he says, rise up in rage against my enemies, O God. Decree justice. Destroy them. And we can be a little bit uncomfortable with that, certainly if it's not been part of our expression or experience of prayer and worship. But again, the Psalms are honest. And implication is a key part of the Psalms of Lament. So what do we do with it? What do we do with these angry curses against enemies? Well, a few things. As I said to the kids, I don't believe that God never wants us to be angry because God himself gets angry. When God looks at injustice in the world, when God sees the oppression and exploitation of 27 million people who are currently enslaved, when God sees little five-year-old girls being sold sex slavery, he is furious. And I think he calls us to be furious too. So there is a place for anger. And these Psalms give us permission to say the right and proper response to injustice is anger and to cry out to God in that anger. Now, again, that anger is not taken out on other people. Don't hear these wrong. The curses and implications are not the psalmist going to their enemies and saying to them. What they're doing with their anger is taking it to God because God can handle it. God can deal with it. And so they bring their anger and their cry for justice to God because they know that God is the one who can bring about justice. And so they are seeking for him to step in. 
I also think often the psalmists are trusting that God can sort through whether this anger is righteous or not. Maybe sometimes God is not going to answer their prayers and they don't even expect him to. Again, I was taught prayer fairly simply when I first became a Christian. I asked for something and I expect God to do it and if he doesn't give it to me, then something's gone wrong with the process. But if prayer is much more relational than as the Psalms, I believe, teach us it is, then we name how we're feeling and we ask God for what we want and sometimes God says, I'm I'm glad you told me that, but that's not actually what I'm going to give you. (laughs) It's okay to ask for things and to have God's answer be no. And so sometimes I think the cry of the psalmists in their imprecation is a cry for vengeance. And God says, great, get it out, name it. (laughs) I know that you wish that these people would be destroyed. But actually I've got a different plan. I'm going to do something different here. That's the prayer of Jonah. Jonah prayed that God would smite the Ninevites and he pronounced judgment on them and God said, actually, I've got a different plan. I'm going to save them. But it was okay for him to name his anger before God. So the imprecations are ultimately a cry for justice, which we can and should make too. And we should be honest with God, even about the things that make us angry and trust that he will know how to fairly and honestly, justly respond to them. But I will say one final thing. I think there is a difference between the situation of the people in the Old Testament and the situation of the church today. In the Old Testament, the people of God are a physical nation and they have physical enemies. And so they will often pray against their physical enemies. After the cross of Jesus, the New Testament is clear that our battle as followers of Jesus is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of evil. So we have shifted from a physical warfare to spiritual warfare. So I do think we need to be careful that these Psalms don't let us think that it's okay to go around, you know, smiting our enemies or asking God to smite them. Certainly Jesus says to forgive those who persecute us, to bless those who hate us. But I think there is a place for us to cry out in imprecation against the evil in our world, against the powers of darkness. One of my friends who was um, going through treatment for cancer said, you know, I pray the imprecations against cancer all the time. I pray honestly asking God to step in and do away with this evil. Then we get towards the end of the lament psalm, so let me finish off. There are two more steps that we see. The next one I've called uh, confidence or sorry, praise or trust. Um, Again, there's kind of this either or. Sometimes the psalm will actually end with praise. It's it's weird. I don't know if you noticed it in Psalm 7. Psalm 7 is quite dark and angry and sad and and then suddenly right at the end, I will give thanks to the Lord. How did we get there? Weren't we just in the darkness and in the mess? But this is how the lament psalms work. It seems that somehow by going through these steps, by bringing them to God, by praying and entering into this kind of prayer, God will actually bring us to a place of praise, that we will see and receive who God is by having spent that time with him, articulating and um, letting it out and allowing him to speak into us, that we will come to a place of praise and give God thanks and honour. This is why the book of Psalms can be called the book of praises. Because even though there's more laments than praises in the, in the book of Psalms, nearly all the laments end in praise. <laughs> lament isn't where we stay. God moves us even in the midst of lament to a place of praise. There are again a few exceptions. There are some lament Psalms where we don't quite get to praise. And I think this is very honest. Sometimes rather than praise, the psalmist will end with a simple statement of trust. I believe that you are God and I put my hope in you. It's almost like they're acknowledging, God, I'm not quite ready. I'd love to throw my hands up in great joy and declare what a great God you are, but I'm just not there yet. But still I trust you. 
the act of lament has been an act of trust. So even the darkest psalm in the book, Psalm 88, traditionally read in the church on Easter Saturday, which really sits in the darkest place, no praise, but can still make a statement of trust and look to God to one day step in. So that's how the lament psalms work, and I hope that is is helpful and encouraging and challenges us and invites us to take on this kind of prayer for ourselves. So I wanted to finish, I guess, by talking about some different ways that we can pray these psalms. There are three that I think are really important, and they, they might be different for different people here today. Sometimes the laments speak to us really personally because we are experiencing what they are experiencing and they give us permission to be honest, honest with ourselves, honest with one another and, of course, honest with God, to cry out from the pain and the suffering that we are experiencing, the brokenness and the darkness in our own lives. And if that's where you're at, the lament psalms are God's gift to you to say, use these words when you can't find your own. Try this out. Work through what it looks like to bring your pain and your sadness and your suffering to God and see how God will meet you right there. And so I don't think I need to say much more about that. I think all of us at times in our life need to pray laments because that's where we're at. But sometimes it might not be. Do we then just say, well, this isn't for me, Uh, that's for someone else, and I'll just walk away? No, I don't think that's how the scriptures work. I think there is still an invitation to lament for all of us. And so the second thing I would say about praying the lament psalms is that we can pray them corporately. We can pray them for and on behalf of one another. Jesus calls us to mourn with those who are mourning, to weep with those who are weeping, to stand side by side alongside our brothers and sisters when they are in pain and sadness. And so sometimes the laments will invite you to stand in solidarity with your brothers and sisters. It may be someone you know personally, another member of your church, your small group, your family, and you can pray the lament psalm on their behalf. That's done by different people throughout the scriptures in a number of places. As I said before, sometimes we can pray the lament psalms on behalf of our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who are experiencing things that we cannot even imagine. And God invites us to enter into their suffering and to stand alongside them and to pray for them. So we can pray the lament psalms personally for ourselves. We can pray them corporately for the church, for this church and for God's church worldwide. The third thing we can do is we can pray the psalms as Christians with Jesus at the centre. We can pray the psalms Christologically, you might say. Pray the psalms as the words of Jesus. Jesus himself, right throughout the New Testament, takes on the words of the Psalms and he speaks them to the people and he prays them from when he is overchanging, sorry, turning over the, the, um, overturning the tables of the money changers in the temple and he speaks the words from the Psalms to when he is hanging on the cross breathing his last and he cries out the lament of Psalm 22. Jesus speaks the Psalms and prays the Psalms and lives the Psalms at all times. There's this beautiful picture in Hebrews chapter 2 of Jesus as our brother who sits in the congregation with us and sings the songs of God with us. And so it's a really interesting thing to do to imagine the Psalms as the prayers of Jesus. It's a different way of reading the Psalms that you might not be used to. You can do this with any of the Psalms, but particularly with the laments, to hear these words put on Jesus' lips 
and to recognise that we have a God who we don't just bring our sadness to. We don't just speak to our God about sadness, but we have a God who has entered in to our sadness and takes it on and speaks it out himself. Jesus, God who dwells amongst us, enters into the brokenness and suffering and pain and sadness of our world and cries out on our behalf to the Father in lament. God is not distant. He is not only the one we pray our laments to, but he is the one who prays laments for us. That's the picture of the scriptures, I believe. Um, Jesus speaking these words on our behalf and Jesus speaking these words on behalf of the world as he takes on all the pain and suffering and sorrow and sickness and sadness and anger and everything that has ever been the sin and guilt of the world and bears it in and of himself. What an incredible picture we have in the Bible of a God to whom we can take our sadness, whether ours or one another's, but who takes on our sadness and meets us in the midst of it. So I trust uh, that as you spend time in the Psalms for yourself, that you might continue to learn to lament as I am continuing to learn to lament and that God might use these Psalms as an invitation for us to be honest about where we're at and to allow him to meet us where we're at, to stand with one another in our brokenness and to meet again the God who has stepped into our sadness. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word and the ways that you speak to us through it. This morning we thank you for the Psalms, these prayers and songs and poems of your people that have become your word to us. And in particular this morning, Lord, for these songs of lament, these songs of honest brokenness, sadness, confession, even cursing, that invite us to be honest and real with one another and with you about the pain and the brokenness we experience in this world to stand with one another and weep and mourn with those who are weeping and mourning. And most of all, God, we thank you that you are not distant, but that in our prayer you are right there with us. And above all in Jesus, you have entered into our sadness and brokenness and taken it on for yourself so that we might know in a completely new way the true forgiveness and love and mercy and joy that comes not instead of the sadness, but through the sadness. And that meets us wherever we're at. And I pray that um, whatever I've said this morning, that is just my words would fade away, but what you are speaking to each of us would continue to sit with us and resonate and speak into our lives so that we might follow you well. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.